The following audio is from Abner Creek Baptist Church. For more information, visit www.abnercreekbaptist.com. Thank you, Ethan, and um, everyone leading us in worship. Last week, um, I was not here, but Pastor Scott, I listened to the, to the podcast, and Pastor Scott defined for us as we begin this series called The Church Gathered for Glory. Pastor Scott defined what the church is. And it's a very important discussion to have because there is much confusion as, we, as he established last week. There's much confusion concerning what is the church to be. This morning as we continue, um, we're going to ask the question, why do we do it? Why do we do church? Uh, so I've entitled, trying not to lose you over the boringness of the, of the title, but I've entitled this, this sermon, Church Attendance and the Heart. It, it might seem strange um, preaching to you a sermon about why to attend church when in reality, all of you who are here for one reason or another have, have thought this morning at least that church is valuable, that you should go. And here you come to church only to, to hear someone telling you why you ought to be here. Um, and, and you're like, hey, I've, I've got it. But when, when, we, when we look at the direction that our, that our churches are going, our churches by and large, uh, those uh, particularly that, that believe and teach the Bible, um, uh, on the whole, we are not increasing. Uh, there's this reality that those who do not go to church know very much why they don't go to church. And those who do go to church often wonder why they go to church. So we have to ask the question, why is it, why is it important? Why are we doing what we are doing? This thing seems so optional to us. If all Jesus wants of me is a personal relationship, I can do that without ever coming to church. So we ask the question, why do we do church? Uh, church attendance and the heart. Does God demand anything of me? Is there any kind of responsibility that I have toward the local gathering of believers? I'm going to go ahead and tip my hand. The answer is yes. And we're going to discuss this morning. We're going to look to the Scriptures because, praise God, the Scriptures are not silent on this topic. God has not left us in the dark. I want to encourage you to turn in your Bibles to Hebrews, to the book of Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews is kind of the last big book uh, before you get to Revelation in the New Testament. Um, Hebrews chapter 10, we'll begin in verse 19, but uh, as you're turning there, I want to, to put out a couple, a couple of more um, shameless plugs. The first one is, if you missed last week, let me encourage you, let me urge you to go onto our website or on, if you've got a smartphone, onto your podcast app and listen to that first sermon that Pastor Scott preached because it is foundational to what we are doing. He spent 20 minutes in introduction and he did that for a reason because we are introducing this series, what is the church, uh, why do we do it, and what is it supposed to be? If I were to ask you this morning, what is the church, you could answer that question in a number of different ways. You could say, well, the church is where the believers get together. 
You could say the church is, um, the church is, uh, the, is how the called out ones identify with Christ. You could say the church is where I've been hurt. You could say the church is where I don't like to go. You can answer that question by saying what the church is in your experience. Or you could answer the question by answering uh, what you think the church should be. The reality is what the church should be and what it is are never perfectly aligned. And that is why we're doing this, this series. Because we want our church to be a, a church that is as closely aligned to what the Bible says it should be as we can. So let's endeavor to understand this thing. I am, I, we are addressing this morning church attendance in the heart. And we have to ask ourselves the question, why does church... Do, Doing church, coming to church, seem to us to be so very optional. We have people on one side telling us, you don't have to go to church to be a Christian. And you have people on the other side saying, or thinking in in their hearts, that going to church makes them a Christian. And neither extreme is healthy. There's kind of a grain of truth in there. Now, of course, you know, going to church does not make you a believer. But this other extreme that says, I don't have to go to church to be a Christian. I wonder where is that philosophy being uh, influenced? Because it's not being influenced by the New Testament. Because the believers in the New Testament understood, how do I identify with Christ? I identify with Christ in the local gathering called the body of Christ. So let's, uh, let's explore um, these things a little further as we read in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 and following. What I want you to, to pick up on even, even as I read is that out of a right understanding of the gospel comes certain actions. Out of a right understanding of the gospel, certain actions become natural. And one of them is the topic we are, we are focusing on this morning. Therefore, brothers, verse 19, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. How do we do this? And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. How? Not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Let's pray. Lord, you are good to us, and I praise you. I thank you that you have not left us in the dark. You have given us a, a revelation called the Bible. And Lord, we, we endeavor this morning, we seek, we, 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 uh, we, we put our effort toward trying to... Um, to align our lives to this word. Lord, I understand that there is nothing that I can say. I can even stand here, preach to the top of my lungs, 
and it be all for naught. If your spirit does not come and, and cause heart change in my life and in the lives of, of all those who are gathered here this morning, I pray that this passage uh, and the passages that we consider this morning would be to us life and that we would take them and combine them with faith and live them. I ask that in the name of Christ. A- Amen. The first point that I want to make, if you are given to, uh, to taking notes or to thinking, uh, you know, in kind of a point-by-point, bullet-style thought process, is that the church is necessary. I'm going I'm to give you the best case that I can make for why the church is important. First of all, the church is necessary because it displays who God is. The church is necessary because it, it displays who God is. I'll give you, a, my, here's my second shameless plug. There's a resource corner that we have, have uh, put up in, in kind of over here next to the bathrooms. Uh, and it has books on it that we have bought for, to, to, to kind of sell to you. This is not a for-profit endeavor. This is like a for-loss endeavor. Okay, we're losing, we're, we're losing money, you know, on, but we want to put these resources in your hands because we think it's that important. We, we filled that resource corner with a few that actually go along with our sermon series. So if you want to, to read throughout the week the same truths that we are trying to teach, let me encourage you to pick this up. This thing sells for twelve ninety nine. Uh, it's called The Church by Mark Dever, and it's called The Gospel Made Visible, which is my first point. The church is necessary because it displays who God is. So go by, pick this book up. We've got a whole box full of them. Um, uh, and and use, these th- use this throughout the week. A couple others are there. But um, the church is necessary because it displays who God is. There's this reality that we are called. One of the pictures that Pastor Scott mentioned last week is the body of Christ. We display to the outside world what the gospel and what the nature of our God is like by doing what we are doing here. As casual as this may seem and as common as it may seem as we gather here and sit in, in, in nice comfortable pews in an air-conditioned room, you know, as, as nice and as, and as casual and as you know, common as it may seem, we are right now preaching the gospel together in a way that we cannot when we are separate. That is what the church does. The church is the gospel made visible. When the world looks in, it should see a picture of who Jesus is, the body of Christ, in a way that they cannot any other way. That is why, reason number one, it is important for you to be here. Because the church displays who God is. As we were reading this morning, and I added this, I wrote this in in my little blue Sharpie pen uh, after Sunday school. In Ezekiel chapter 37, it says this, I will be their God and they will be my people, talking about a defined group of people. How do we see that? How do we see a defined group of people? In the local church. People talk about being a member of the universal church. That is a thing. The universal church is a thing, all believers for, for all, all over the world. But where does that church gather? Where does that church meet together to share communion? Where does that church have a small group? Where does that church hear the word of God preached? It doesn't. It happens in the local church. The, lo- the universal church is just the, the, uh, the, the, the culmination of all the local churches like ours here. What we are doing here is a mystery 
and it is wonderful. But Ezekiel 37 says, I will be their God, and they will be my people, this defined group of people. I will be their God. They will be my people. Then the nations will know that I am the Lord. When people look together and they see who are the people of God and and that they are coming together to bear one another's burdens and to confess sins to one another and so be healed and to hold one another accountable, they say that unity is different. I've never seen that before. And the nations will know that I am the Lord. What you are doing right now is vastly and deeply important. Because whether or not you know it, you are right now preaching the gospel. Don't take this lightly. Don't take what we are doing lightly. We have to understand a couple of other things here that are connected to this. Um, It would be natural to think that if someone does not love the church, that they have misunderstood the church or, or been hurt by the church. I, I understand this because I understand that I'm a sinner and I go to church. So I have probably at, the, at some point in my existence done something to make people not want what we are doing here this morning. We have to recognize that and confess that and own that. But the reality is that there is a deeper issue. If the church displays who God is, then when people do not love the church, it is because they have misunderstood the nature of who God is. Does that make sense? We have to understand this in spiritual terms. At the root, deep within the human soul, if there is a dislike for the church, there is a misunderstanding of God himself. And likewise, if we As believers, consider the church to be optional. We must understand that it is because we have misunderstood the nature of God himself. The church is the gospel made visible. So here's a couple sub points. First of all, how does this flesh out? First of all, we will love the church if we understand his gospel. I want to draw you back to to chapter 10, verses 19 through 24. All of these, and we're going to have kind of a little, little short grammar and, and, and grammar lesson here, but, but I want you to, to look, starting at verse 19, a dependent clause is something that is waiting on the, the rest of the clause to come and make it full, right? So when it begins, since we have confidence, we are waiting. Like, since we have confidence, what? And we can insert a couple more senses in there, I think. Since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus and by a new and living way that he has opened uh, for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great high priest, okay, what? Those sense, that those sense clauses are waiting for us to, to do something. Since these things are true, since the gospel is true, then let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience. He's talking about the gospel. He's saying, since the gospel has saved you fully, then do these things. Draw near. Let us draw near with a full, uh, with a true heart in full assurance of the faith. Verse 23, let us hold fast our confession. In verse 24, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some. Do you want to know how deeply you understand the gospel? 
Examine your life and examine how fully you are obeying the let us statements. Because if you understand the sense, then you will naturally want to do the let us. Does that make sense? Sense? All right. First, we will love God's church if we understand his gospel. Of course, Hebrews make this clear. Secondly, we will love God's church if we understand his plan. Pastor Scott, without knowing uh, what, you know, kind of the content of my sermon, set, set me up great for this point last week when he said that the church is God's plan for making disciples. You will love God's church if you understand his plan for your life. I was recently talking with a, with a brother a, a number of weeks ago who was just talking about how difficult his life had been. And he, he's having trouble, you know, focusing his heart on the Lord. And he's having trouble finding his joy in Christ. And I said, have you been going to church? And he said, no. And I said, how can you possibly expect to have a right relationship with God when you are neglecting the very means that he has given you to make yourself in a right, continuing relationship with God. And that's the point that I'm seeking to make here, is that God has ordained a means for your sanctification. And it is called the local church. We talk about these big words, the justification and the sanctification and the propitiation and all that stuff. But the reality is this, this growing to be like Jesus, this sanctification every day, God has ordained a means for that to happen. He's given you a vessel, a vehicle, a channel for it, and it is called the local church. And that is why we cannot neglect the meeting together as is the habit of some, says the, the author of, of Hebrews. God has ordained a means for you to become like him, and it is what we are doing right now. Remember, it is not your Bible study, your, your Bethmore Bible study in the closet with your latte that the gates of hell cannot prevail against. It is the church that the gates of hell cannot prevail against. You, can, you come to know God a way together that you can never know him separated from his means called the church. I want to impress that upon you dearly. The church gathered can give you something that you can't get alone. We've been talking the last few weeks why this is important. Why is it important to be in the context of other believers? Because when you come in here, and of course, Pastor Scott says ad nauseum, he says all the time that if you are coming into this time, which is important and is vital and is necessary, this isn't an either or, this is a both and. If you are coming into this time and just hearing the preaching of God's word, you're only getting part of the story. Because God's means for your, for your, uh, for your um, sanctification is Galatians chapter 6, verse 2. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. You can't do that by yourself. You can't bear one another's burdens by yourself. Secondly, confess your sins to one another and so be healed. You can't do that by yourself. Just with your journal or whatever. Confess your sins to one another and so be healed. You can't hold one another accountable by yourself. That's why the local church is important and it is God's means for you becoming like him. Let me encourage you to, uh, oh, another thing I'd like to say. 
If you haven't given yourself, and I'm not trying to, here's, here's the deal, I'm very passionate about this, and, and sometimes I kind of recognize that when I'm very passionate about something, it kind of looks like or sounds like I might be mad, and I'm not mad. What I want you to see is this. I'm not trying to just, you know, lay the hammer down on you. I, I, I want you to hear the grace behind this. If you haven't given yourself to this kind of discipleship, we had a meeting a couple weeks ago with our uh, Sunday school teachers, small group leaders. And I would suggest that for, for most of the people in most any church in anywhere USA, the only time they ever get close to this is like in Sunday school. Because the average believer is not meeting with another brother or sister halfway through the week and saying, brother, Hold me accountable. I give you the keys to ask the hard questions in my life. The average believer is not doing that. The average believer is not doing Galatians 6.2 and James 5.16. And this is just as much of an indictment on me as it is on anybody else. And I said, you know, the only time that we ever get anywhere close to that is Sunday school. And we're in a small group setting for most of us. And we can, we can ask ourselves the hard questions and we can do this discipleship thing. There is a side of discipleship that if you don't do this, if you don't give somebody the keys, if you're not meeting in a small group setting to do life with somebody, to ask them the hard questions and let them ask you the hard questions, then you will only know about discipleship like the five-year-old knows that the stove is hot. You tell your, your kid, don't touch that stove, it's hot. And they'll never really know just how true that is. Until they climb up on that little stool, you know, drag it over while you're not looking and reach up and put their hand on it. Then they'll know what you're talking about. Let me encourage you this morning. Touch the stove. Touch the stove. Do what you got to do. Find someone. Ask them, I give you, can I have the keys into your life? Give me the keys into your life. I'll give you the keys into my life to ask me the hard questions, to, to go over what we talked about on Sunday morning where Pastor Scott said, this is true, and I want you to have the opportunity to, to ask me, is it true in your life? Finally, I want you to look at, uh, to verse 24. Um, yeah, verses 24 and 25. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. There are a couple encouragements here. One is a negative encouragement, and one is a positive encouragement. The negative encouragement is when it says, don't do this. The positive encouragement is when it says, but do this instead. Okay? So the negative encouragement here is uh, not neglecting to meet together. So don't do that. Don't neglect the meeting together. But the positive encouragement is to instead encourage one another all the more as the days draw near. Now, human, carnal, sinful, fallen knowledge or logic would suggest that I can get to a certain point in my walk with Jesus where I no longer need this. That's what human logic would suggest. I no longer need this because I have matured to such a point that I don't need other believers. But the author of Hebrews seems to think that that's a bunch of garbage because he says that the mature believers will be not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. How do we do that? By gathering together. He says mature believers will understand that I need this. 
And the other brothers and sisters in my church need me. He said, that is why it is so important. Mature believers don't ever graduate from this. Mature believers understand more and more their need for it. And that is why we do this thing called the church. It's not the well who need a physician, but it is the sick. And as you come to know Christ more, all you do is you realize how how really sick you are and how you need every means possible in this earth for you to become like Jesus, i.e., the church. The church. Another side of God's plan, I told you a minute ago, it's been a while in my notes, but uh, uh, the, the point that we're going through right now is we will love God's church if we understand his plan. The second part of his plan is to preserve a remnant, a leftover piece. Okay, some of you have remnants in your fridge, and maybe you might go home today to eat those remnants, or maybe you'll make a big meal and make some remnants today. But this leftover piece that God is always preserving, we see it, uh, we, we see it, it, it when Noah and the ark, when the flood came, and God's judgment was just, and, and he wiped out everything except for the remnant, Noah and his family, he preserved we see it in, a, in the family of Abraham where he preserved that family through instead of killing Isaac, providing a substitute. Thus the family line could continue. We see it in the nation of Israel that the last picture we see when the Old Testament closes of the nation of Israel is a tree that has been chopped down. But God has promised that out of the stump of that tree will come a little sprig, a remnant, a leftover piece. And through that sprig will come the purposes and salvation of God, Jesus Christ. God is always preserving a remnant. So let me ask you the question, who is the remnant today? It's the church. At one point, it was the family of Abraham. Got its more full expression in the nation of Israel. Today, we see the church. The church has come along. Inside the church, those are the people who are identifying with Jesus. They're the people who are saying, come heck or high water, I'm with him. I'm with him. While the world and even our Christian culture says, I don't have to go to church to be a Christian, we respond by asking, is that the message of the Bible? The church is the body of the called out ones, a gathering of those who name Christ and show the world a picture of the coming kingdom of God. Folks, this is why we do church discipline. This is why we do hard stuff. Not because, this is why we have a church membership. Not because we are trying to be a club, like a member of a club, and and you'll come, and if we don't like the way you cut your hair or the car you drive, we might blackball you. That's not what we're doing here, but we are saying that our church had better look now like the kingdom of God will look one day or else we are lying to people about what the kingdom of God is like and what it takes to get in. That is why when a brother is walking far from the Lord and he's a member of our church and we say, brother, what you're doing is hurting you and what you're doing is hurting the name of Christ. Come back. We love you. We're no better than you, but, but what you're doing is sin. Will you repent and confess your sin and turn away? And the brother says, no. 
So we bring together a couple of, of faithful believers, and we come to him two and three, like Matthew 18, and we say, brother, you're sinning. Sister, you're sinning. Call it what it is. We'll come around you. We'll love you. But you've got to repent because we can't let you have a false sense of security. So, so repent and come back. And he says, no. And then we bring it before the church. And the church says, as one body, we say, brother, sister, come back. Call your sin what it is. Confess it and you will be healed. God is faithful and just to forgive you, 1 John 1, 9. And the brother says, no. And we say, well, we would love for you to come and hear what we are teaching, but we can't let you believe that you are part of the church because we want you to repent. And that is the hope. That is the hope. That's why we do hard things. Third, I will give you this last encouragement before we go to our our next point. We will love the church if we love what Jesus loves. Pastor Scott spent a little time on this last week. In Ephesians chapter 5, there's this picture of Jesus being married to the church. Jesus loves his church. Ephesians chapter 5 says that Jesus loved the church and gave himself up for her. If you need a reason this morning to love the church... At least love it because Jesus does and you want to be like him. Because Jesus considered the church worth dying for. And if we want to be like him, let's love it too. If you need a reason, use that one. Secondly, the first point was the church is necessary because it displays who God is. Secondly, and these last two will go a little quicker, the church is necessary because the gospel always results in action. The gospel always results results in action. I've kind of touched on this um, uh, briefly, but this whole passage in, in chapter 10 has been talking about the gospel. I would encourage you, if you were in chapter 10, to look back at verse 11. He begins even before this passage we've been considering this morning. He says, and every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices. These sacrifices never stop. The priest has to stand, and he offers repeated sacrifices. But Jesus, let me read it so I don't misquote it. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice, not repeated, but single For sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. He didn't stand daily. He sat down because it is finished. Believer, I can tell you that you do not have to do anything to earn God's favor. You can rest in the finished work of Christ. Have you ever thought that God might reject you because you're not good enough? I I thought that. I think that's natural. God might reject you because you are not good enough. Well, the difference between what we teach and what every other religion in the world, I would suggest, including including Catholicism, is that the work of Christ is finished now. The work of Christ is finished now. You have nothing left to do. Because if you had something else to do, that would mean that Jesus' sacrifice was not good enough. But it is. He sat down. Priests no longer stand daily administering those, killing those lambs 
They no longer do that because the one lamb, the perfect, unblemished lamb, has been sacrificed for us. And there is no longer anything that we must do to earn favor with God. So Christian believer, you can rest in that. Rest in that. You don't have to come to church to earn God's favor. But when you come to Christ, you will want to identify with him. You will want to. You will want to be part of his body. And how do we do that? Through the church. Through the local gathered church. Okay. Verse uh, uh, number three. Yeah. Okay. I already said that. Number three. The church is necessary because we are sinners. This is tied to number two, that the church is necessary because the gospel always results in action. It's tied to number one. It displays who God is. But the church is necessary because we are, sin- are sinners. Let me ask you the question. The, the, the main encouragement that we've been talking about here says, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good deeds. Why do we have to do that? Why do we have to stir one another up? To love and good deeds. I would suggest that it's because it's not our natural setting. Love and good deeds, is it? It's not. He says, stir one another up to love and good deeds. I would suggest that the author of Hebrews put this in here because he understands what we need to understand. The depth of our own sinfulness. That we need the body of Christ Because we are broken. Because we are still in process. Christ has come and he has has declared that our brokenness is over. And we talk about this many times. That our salvation is past, present, and future. Many times we just emphasize the past nature. We say, I was saved when I was seven and got baptized. I have been saved for X number of years. I am saved. I was saved in the past tense, the perfect tense maybe. The reality is that's true. We have been saved. Christ has declared that sin no longer has power over you in one sense. But of course, if you live one day, you understand that in another sense, sin still does have power over us because we're not yet perfect. I have been saved. I am being saved right now. God's using his church. He's using his Holy Spirit. He's using his Bible to make me like Jesus. And one day when Christ returns, my salvation will find its most full expression, its consummation, its pinnacle. When Jesus comes back and I am saved to sin no more. I have been saved. I am being saved And one day, I will be saved. I will be saved. That is why the church is necessary. Because we are sinners. And I would say, please hear the love and the grace from my heart that I'm trying to convey when I say this. If you believe in your heart, even if you would never say it to someone else. If you believe that the church is optional that it's just something that those who want to go above and beyond do, the really spiritual people, if you believe that, I can tell you one thing that's going on in your heart, and that is that you do not understand how sinful you are. You do not understand your great need. You do not understand how sick and in need of a physician 
you are. We were studying with the, uh, with the students. I, I, I was, I've been, okay, I've been here for four years, and I've never gone through a gospel on Wednesday nights with the students. I'm a little, uh, a little uh, nervous. I'm excited, but I'm also nervous because it's narrative. In other words, like the gospels or, or exodus. It's very difficult to preach, right? If you read a story, these people did this. So we should do what? That's harder than looking to where Paul says, love one another, and you get to turn around and tell all the youth on Wednesday nights, Paul said, love one another, so love one another, right? That's easier to preach that than it is to preach through Exodus or Matthew or, or some kind of narrative, right, where it tells a story. That's harder. So I'm a little nervous, but, but we were talking about the, uh, the Sermon on the Mount. That's where we're beginning, the Sermon on the Mount. In, uh, in chapter, chapter 5, verse 3, it says this, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. It's possible to read through the Sermon on the Mount and to ask yourself the whole way through, what the heck does this mean? What does it mean to be poor in spirit? Isn't being poor a bad thing? Why would anyone want to be poor in anything? Shouldn't we be rich in spirit? But Jesus is saying here, blessed are those who recognize how spiritually bankrupt they are. For only those people will reach out to Christ for grace. Only the people who recognize that they are sick will call the doctor. Only the people who recognize that they are spiritually bankrupt will ever get on their face before God with tears coming down their eyes and beg for mercy because they recognize how bankrupt they are. And for the same reason, you and I need the church. You will love the church if you understand how bad of a sinner you are. Not trying to be all depressed, but that's just the reality. That's just the reality. We desperately need every means of remedy to our situation. Um, I, I want to, I want to, uh, to close now by uh, extending to you this very same offer of grace that is extended in Jesus Christ. That if this morning you have seen the church, and I understand if you're here for the first time, th- this might not be just the, the ideal Sunday to walk in the doors of this church to hear this, this you know, Abner Creek kind of having this, I don't know, this in-house discussion about what our church should look like. But the reality is that hopefully if you have seen our picture for what we want our church to be like, that you have seen why we are doing this, what we believe is wrong with us, and what we believe is right about Jesus. And hopefully you, you might this morning, I don't know, if you have, have come to, the, to, to, uh, to hear what we have been talking about and you have recognized that, yes, you too, you as well, are broken. And you understand that brokenness better than anybody. As a matter of fact, your brokenness, you don't want to tell other people about. If you recognize that you're broken, that you are in need of a, of a physician that you recognize that you are spiritually bankrupt and that you have no way to get to God on your own. I have good news. And that good news is that God loved you so much that he sent his son. He took on flesh himself. Jesus was the God-man, fully God and fully man, came to live the perfect life that we couldn't live so that we could be acceptable in front of a God that the Bible says resides in unapproachable light. The God who is unapproachable because we're sinners has been made approachable through Jesus Christ. And that is extended to you today. 
If you're a believer and you understand that perhaps your attitude uh, toward the church needs to be realigned, then we want to give you a context. We want to give you a venue here. It's not necessary that you come down front and, and kneel across this, this, this stage, but I want to make that open to you, that you can come here and publicly even go before other believers to confess your sins and so be healed because that, after all, is what we're here to do to be made more like Jesus. We want to give you a context to do that. If you have questions about the faith, if you have questions about what we're talking about, we would love to line you up with someone who could meet with you and just, and just talk about the Bible with you throughout the week. We have a group of people, we have a number of people who would be happy just to meet with you at, at Chick-fil-A or, or, or at Arby's or, or wherever and just to talk about what the Bible says and to study it together. We would love to, to hook you up with someone like that. I'm going to say a prayer, and we're going to bring our, our session to a close. And if, uh, if you need to, to, uh, to have a context to confess things to God, to do business with Him, or to do business with other believers, that is what this time of reflection and response that we provide every Sunday, that's what that's for. So let me encourage you to take, uh, to, to make use of that. Let's pray. Lord, you are good, and as we look to your, to your church and we see your plan for our being made like you, um, God, we are humbled that you would so institute something for us, for our good, that this church, uh, that this thing called the church should not be something um, that, uh, that, that, that we have to do, but it's something that we want to do. It's, we, we are sick and in need of, of a physician. And if Jesus is the physician, then the church is the hospital. And we need the hospital. So Lord, I pray that we would have a high view of your scriptures and that we would have a high view of your church. That we would not kind of have this rebellious, oh, you know, I can, I can, you know, whatever, whatever goes for me. But that we would say, you know what, I don't own my church, but my church owns me. I want to submit myself to it and I want to give myself to it because that is God's plan for me being made like you. Lord, I pray that if there is someone here today who has come and, and kind of come on this, on this Sunday and, and, uh, and, and they don't really, um, I don't know, find the discussion about the church interesting, but they have found this person, Jesus, interesting. And they have recognized this morning that they need you, that they have never come to Jesus and said, I am broken. I am sick. I need a savior because I do bad things and I want bad things and I think bad things and I need to be made new so that I can have relationship with the one true God. If there is someone here today who is in that condition, Lord, I pray that they would understand that every person in this room at some point has been there hopefully has recognized their need for a savior that they can't do it. And I pray for our church, that you would use your word, that you would use the things that we teach, that you would use the books that we put at the resource center, you would use our library, you would use our, our, our children's ministry and our student ministry and all the, all the different ministries that, uh, that are in, in our present and in our future to edify us, to make us like Jesus and to make us the church that we need to be so that we can proclaim the excellencies of him who has saved us. 
Lord, knit us together into a spiritual house that you talk about in your word. Pray this in the name of Christ. Amen. This time of teaching is brought to you by Abner Creek Baptist Church. For more information, visit www.abnercreekbaptist.com.